He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Tēnā koutou katoa and welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, the mental health system. Close to a million New Zealanders each year are thought to experience mental illness or significant mental health distress. And services are widely acknowledged to be struggling to meet the rising need. The government has devoted $2 billion to fixing the system so the people in anguish can get the help they need. But what's being planned and how long before there's any real change? Our health correspondent Karen Brown has been speaking to people about their experiences and exploring how the system could be made to work. And just a warning that this programme may be confronting for some listeners. It's a typical midwinter evening in the emergency department, or ED, at Waikato Hospital. It's the country's third busiest ED, after South Auckland's Middlemore and Christchurch hospitals. In Hamilton, winter illnesses are biting, and the hospital's emergency front door is already ushering in record numbers of patients, close to 300 people a day. The evening shift's barely begun, but the ED is already full. 75 people are being seen, and extra very ill patients are arriving by ambulance. These are our sickest patients, and you can just see quite how chaotic it is um, with the number of people, elderly people on stretches, and where we're going to find space from the department's absolutely chocker. You hear there's just every space out here is full. Elderly, really sick people, vulnerable people, uh, quite classic, ambulance bay full, um, and it, it is Habas 5. John Bonning, president-elect of the Australasian College for Emergency Medicine, is the senior doctor in the emergency department tonight. He started at 4pm and expects to continue directing proceedings until 2 or 3 in the morning, around the time the ED is least busy, but before then things can be chaotic. And then they start to crescendo through 10am um, and then peaking between about 2pm and 7pm and, and actually for us now 7, 8, 9, 10pm and we can have up to 15 patients per hour arriving between um, 7 and 10pm. That's 15 new patients. It's a highly charged environment at the best of times and Insight was allowed in to observe the evident pressure points while ensuring no patients were identified. It's clear rising mental health-related illnesses are causing extreme pressures. We don't want to say patients with mental health don't come to ED and we don't want to say that to anybody that's acutely sick and injured. Injury, illness, mental illness, all the same. We want to see you if you're acutely unwell. Um, but uh, we're just a bit overwhelmed at the moment. There has been a manifest increase um, of awareness of mental health and in the terms of incidents in the population has increased and the ones that used to be seen and sectioned or dealt with in the police cells are coming here as well. Mental well-being, long a Cinderella in health, dominated new funding initiatives in the recent government budget to the tune of $1.9 billion over four years. For perspective, that's about what the country spends on winter energy payments to superannuitants at $485 million a year. An extra $8 million was also provided to help struggling EDs manage rising mental health demands. It'll be spread among all DHBs, but is certain to be useful in Waikato, where Dr Bonning is well aware the DHB is in the red to the tune of more than $37 million. Really, we would need a purpose-built, I would have thought, 10-space area 
to look after these people that's got, you know, security, nursing staff, medical staff to help look after the complex needs of these patients um, uh, to deal with the numbers and the amount of time they're staying in here. Are you expecting to get that? optimistic at all? Well, I mean, all the DHBs are under deficit. We've got an uh, administrator that's uh, staring down the, li- the, the barrel of our uh, um, deficits. Nevertheless, Waikato Hospital is already boosting its mental health support in the ED and this year employed a nurse practitioner dedicated to people who are mentally unwell. She has two nurses helping and further support is planned. But still the pressures mount. They'll have medical issues. If they've taken an overdose, they need to be stable and of a sound mind to make decisions about their health. And then we kind of compartmentalise and get the mental health team to sort them out. And you know, these are high-needs patients. We want to look after them, but you know they can also have drug-induced psychoses, and we've had instances of staff being physically and verbally threatened. Um, you know These are real issues. It's not a wonderful environment for people um, that are acutely decompensating and not coping. Waikato Hospital is not alone, and Auckland City Hospital Emergency Medicine Specialist Scott Orman told a meeting of emergency medicine specialists in Wellington recently there's been a 60% rise in mental health-related consultations in his ED over the past five years. We all know what sort of environment they come into. Our EDs are bright, they're noisy, they're very busy, there's a lot going on. The unfortunate paradox is that the most unwell patients from a mental health point of view, in order to maintain safety, often end up in the most visible, brightly lit and noisy parts of the department. This is very harmful. An incoming call from an ambulance officer, taken by an ED staffer on a phone hanging from the wall, was the first indication of a mental health-related emergency. How old is the patient? It's a highly charged life and death situation, and the following section could be upsetting to some listeners. All hands are on deck for the resuscitation, about 10 people initially. Afterwards, Dr Bonning chooses his comments carefully. Bit of an emergency? Yep. So, what can um, you tell me? Yeah, we've just come from the resuscitation room for somebody that's had an, uh, a, a, a major issue um, that required resuscitation. And, uh, and as you saw, we, you know, we had about two minutes' notice they came in. Um, we've uh, performed the resuscitation. The patient will go to in- intensive care. And that's just the nature of emergency medicine. We, uh, one minute, we'll be you know, dealing with fairly minor and not so significant stuff and then this sort of thing comes in and we're trained to, to, to do that so it's, uh, it's great to make that difference. Is it a mental health issue? Possibly, you know, there's all sorts of things that mental health patients present with, um, you know, overdoses um, uh, and deliberate self-harm. And, uh, yeah, this is um, uh, one of those situations where it'll become clearer as we uh, get more information because we have so little initially. Later in the evening, he's back in recess with another mental health patient. Patient medically really unwell and they'll, they need to stay here and they'll end up in ED all night stabilising from their overdose um, and then get the mental health assessment in the morning. So that's a classic mental health presentation. You know, they can start off very, very 
unwell indeed, needing resuscitation, but then they stabilise. And some of the long stays have that medical aspect of initially, but they still need a lot of care and safety partners to care for them. You know, once once they wake up, they they don't then walk out and harm themselves. So they're still quite labour intensive. Lives are clearly saved and everyone readily accepts there will always be a role for Edie's at this, the sharp end of mental health. But doctors also know the environment is ill-suited to these needy, complex patients. They want both improved facilities in Edie's for the task and sweeping changes in the community so more can be done close to home and faster. That would include a more rapid response in terms of follow-up care so patients do not have to wait in EDs for periods of up to a day. To bolster these calls, the College for Emergency Medicine made this video involving actors to show how damaging ED can be for those in mental health crisis. I know what your voice name is. Hello there. My name's Phil. I'm one of the doctors here in the emergency. This is all about mind control. You're poisoning me with your alantapine and I'm not going to have it. Just to keep no. you safe on No! No! Patients who have tried to end their lives and ended up in a public hospital ED also speak of the extra trauma they've endured there. Vicky Wise is a 41-year-old whose passion for skiing, mountain biking and hiking brought her from Scotland to Wanaka nine years ago. Three years ago, however, while working in IT, she ran into some serious problems. The initial trigger really was uh, I got burnt out. I was working too many hours and it was too stressful. And that was the start of, a, I can't say a downward spiral because there's certainly been some ups and downs, but yeah. That was the start of it, and that was about three years ago. By itself, that may not have mattered, but it came on top of other issues, including being bullied as a child, breaking her pelvis in an avalanche here, and being raped. It all led to a mental health crisis not long ago in Dunedin. I wasn't feeling very well for the prior few weeks, and then I had several things going on with who was funding my uh, rent down in here uh, in Dunedin whilst I'm doing my therapy. And my medical certificate uh, ran out with work and income because I didn't get to see my psychiatrist. So then my benefits were cut. And there were just several things that happened at once that if I was well, I, it wouldn't have bothered me. But it just started to mount up and it became too much. And then everything became overwhelming, even like the news. Like I was just like, I cannot deal with the world anymore. Um, my psychologist described it as that I'd got to the end of the road and that was it. I'd had enough. She ended up in the ED, which was typically bright and noisy. I was put on a bed in the corridor where they were monitoring me. So like, I, my paranoia kicked in and thought that everybody around me that was there could see that I had self-harmed because I had bandages on my arms and I just wanted to be hiding away, but I'm in the middle of a corridor. Vicky Wise says the last time she went to ED, rather than feeling judged, she was treated kindly. Self-harm and overdoses uh, do have stigma attached to them. And unfortunately, it depends who you see, whether you get somebody 
who is caring, or if you get someone who's just doing their job and and doesn't doesn't care too much. She too would like to see separate areas provided in EDs to help calm the situation down. She'd also like to see more training for people in ED and emergency psychological services about self-harm. That it is not an attention-seeking situation, that there are other reasons why, and to try and get them to ask questions of what's actually happened to you so they can understand. Her experience is backed by Tammy Allen, the chief executive of the Changing Minds Group. She's fine now, but as a 17-year-old, she made several suicide attempts both here and in Australia. She believes it was related to hormone changes in puberty, but the emergency care, while saving her life, was also traumatic. On one of those those trips in the ambulance, I s- still remember quite vividly the look of disgust on the ambulance officer's face. And I interpreted that disgust as they, that I was wasting their time, I shouldn't be there, they had better things to do. And I feel from other people I've spoken to about similar experiences that that is in many cases an ongoing problem for people. Her turning point was a near-death experience in an ED. I remember waking up and being told that I had been dead for nearly three minutes, that my heart had stopped and they had to revive me and bring me back. And I do remember vividly what that experience was like for me in that three minutes. And that three minutes on earth was endless for me in that moment, and it was frightening. Tammy Allen wants those with so-called lived experience like her in all the new positions created under the planned revamp of services, estimated to be around 1,600. She also believes different community-based approaches to mental health recovery beyond drugs and psychiatry will provide answers New Zealand urgently needs. It happens because you've got friends you trust, you've got supportive loving relationships whether they you know be in a long-term relationship or not that there is people that you can go and you can talk to in those moments and sometimes those people are online for people and and those are not part of our paradigm of what mental health care looks like. The prescription is nothing if not timely. New Zealand is on the cusp of what the Mental Health Foundation Chief Executive Sean Robinson says is the biggest upheaval for mental health services in half a century. Certainly since the 90s when the the last um, inquiry occurred and uh, the sort of blueprint for uh, mental health was developed. But I actually think the conceptual changes around mental health are are much more far-reaching than than those that were adopted back in the 90s. More and better care in the community for a wider range of people, including those with mild to moderate, not just serious problems, is promised – It follows a long-awaited report last November from the Mental Health and Addiction Inquiry Panel led by a former Health and Disability Commissioner, Ron Patterson. It consulted widely, concluding sweeping reforms are needed to address issues including increasing signs of mental distress and self-harm among children and young people and the country's persistently high suicide rate. In 2016, 553 people died by suicide, the highest in a decade, according to Provisional Health Ministry figures. Add in widespread harm from alcohol and drug addiction and poor access to services. All this is exacerbated by poverty, housing and unemployment 
and it's costing New Zealand $12 billion a year, or 5% of gross domestic product. Sean Robinson of the Mental Health Foundation says the challenge is massive. We're probably looking at 750,000 to a million adult Kiwis a year who suffer from or experience some kind of significant mental distress. He describes New Zealand's current mental health predicament as a mess, adding it will take a decade to sort it out. And so you don't solve that, you know, in the space of a month or even a year. You know, there are new services and GP practices that are developing. There are new sort of integrated counselling services for young people. There are kaupapa Māori services that are getting more support uh, than they were before and, and more attention. You know, there are services going into schools. So... I really, really hope that we do get some actual traction and start to see some increase in service within the next year. But we're not going to reach full capacity. We're not going to have enough staff trained. Uh, We're not going to be able to create those services overnight. The Deputy Director General for Mental Health and Addiction at the Health Ministry, Robin Shearer, rejects the view the sector's in a mess. It is not all broken. There are some... Excellent providers doing amazing work, some dedicated frontline clinicians, practitioners, community support workers who day-to-day go and support people in the community and are really well respected by those who do. The Ministry's not yet able to announce what the new initiatives and services will be. One of the reasons are major gaps in the workforce among nurses, psychologists, psychiatrists and allied health staff including occupational therapists and physiotherapists. Robin Shearer also cannot put a figure on how many more of these essential workers will be needed. I think it could be a big challenge for us, but I think until we understand the current state of who's doing what in our system now, the future state of what we need, and how the two might marry together, it's quite difficult to make very firm predictions. To help with planning of new services, the Ministry will be carrying out a national survey of mental health needs, the first in 17 years. The inquiry said one in five people experience mental health illness or significant distress a year, but Robin Shearer says better data is needed. In the meantime, she says officials are working fast to build new services with partners in the NGO sector and elsewhere. What the Ministry will know very soon, though, is who will lead a new suicide prevention team in the Ministry. Robin Shearer hopes to announce that by August and it will be followed by a suicide prevention strategy and action plan. She also concedes that turning mental health around is a long job. If you think about the time it takes to recruit workers and train professionals into the sector, we are looking at a three to five year term for our nursing and allied health workforce. Um, Psychiatry takes longer than that, psychology as well. So We've got to think about this being a long-term journey of change. While that continues, the police also urgently want changes to their role in responding to mental health crises. They receive 156 calls a day via the triple one system, half of them about threatened and attempted suicides. They attend 90% of these and may be the sole responder if there is no ambulance paramedic available. A Wellington District Shift Commander, Senior Sergeant Matt Morris, is the former police manager for mental health. 
He says it's better than what used to happen. Here in the Wellington, uh, we were detaining hundreds and hundreds of people into our police cells for a mental health assessment, which is quite honestly quite a shocking thing. It was shocking that police did it, and it was shocking that the mental health services accepted that as well. So it was a shocking um, situation for everyone. And quite rightly, the Independent Police Conduct Authority reviewed the police processes and kicked us into gear, and uh, we sorted our game out. So I'm pretty happy about where we are now. It's time-consuming. Police say they spend an average of up to two hours for each officer waiting with the patient in ED to see a psychologist or a crisis team. Senior Sergeant Morris says suicidal patients don't tolerate the situation well. Like anyone, really, if it was a physical injury, the longer you leave them, the worse it tends to get and it tends to hurt more. Uh, and there's no difference, really, in the mental health space is that the longer we sit with them, the more distressed they get. The solution police want to see is co-response teams comprising police, mental health and paramedics located in the community, separate from the rest of the force, and able to respond via the 111 system. The plan was backed by the former national-led government, but the momentum has lapsed since. Those with some of the highest need for culturally aware mental health services are Māori and Pacifica. The demand is driven by the consequences of poverty, poor housing, unemployment and methamphetamine use. A former Hawke's Bay doctor, now a professor of Māori and Indigenous research at the Napier-based Eastern Institute of Technology, David Tippany leach says the figures are bad enough now and things are not getting any better. Our last three or four years have found people at the hard-up end of our society uh, not doing any better than they used to and arguably are doing worse. Um, Access issues about the whole gamut of things about are there appropriate services for Māori? Do they feel safe at these services? Can indeed they get access to the services at all? Um, Given that, as the Waitangi Tribunal recently um, noted, that there is a cash register at the front door of general practice which is the most common way for people to um, come into contact with mental health services. The budget funding of $1.9 billion over four years included $455 million for frontline services in the community. Of that latter sum, $62 million will go to Kopapa Māori Mental Health Services. Professor David Tippany leach says some of these may be based on a successful Gisborne-based pilot that emphasised free access, a non-judgmental approach and retaining patients. It's clear that what we're doing now is not good enough. Everybody has said so, the public has said so, the government has agreed, here's the resource, let's get on and do it. Everyone agrees that's essential, but Susanna Every-Palmer, the Deputy Chair of the College of Psychiatrists, stresses more psychiatrists, psychologists, mental health nurses, social workers and peer support workers are all needed to make it a reality. We need people with broad multidisciplinary skills. We need mental health professionals um, who are trained and familiar with the New Zealand environment. And we also need peer support workers, um, so people who can work in the community and have lived experience of mental distress and can provide that support. Across the sector, there's many unfilled vacancies and we're advertising, but we can't find people to fill them. This is a 10-year plan. Not only do we need to create new positions, we also need to start at the grassroots and train people. There's a high-level plan, but the devil's in the details. Just how that's hammered out 
The all-important detail is front of mind for Sally Pitts-Brown too. She's the chief executive of Pathways, a non-governmental group providing support to people with mental health needs in the community. Along with others, she is excited about the promised changes, but she's also worried that her workforce of community support workers, youth workers, occupational therapists, social workers, nurses and clinicians could be gutted as a result. Well, my biggest fear is that actually we're going to see the um, community sector and the NGO sector um, end up with no staff. And that's because already we have huge disparity in what we can pay our staff compared to what the, um, the DHBs and other ministries can pay their staff. And, you know, we've got a sizable gap already. You know, um, we're talking ten to $15,000 in some case. She adds there needs to be a clear strategy governing the future workforce. We have to have some principles around remuneration so that one part of the sector can't be paying higher salaries than the other parts. And I guess the example for me is that our clinical staff, they can attract much higher salaries if they work within the District Health Board than if they work with us. The Health Minister, David Clark says the government will build on pilot programmes like one run by community health organisation ProCare in Auckland. He's not phased by the size of the challenge or the workforce needs, saying all but 400 of the extra 1,600 workers needed are already in the workforce. We are proposing to have a whole new frontline workforce here to deliver by year five around 325,000 consultations a year. Those are not small numbers, but we make no apology for having that ambition. This is a challenge that is long-term, that's needed to be tackled, and as a government, we're up for those long-term challenges. 59-year-old Bruce Watson knows what works for him. Yes, I'm a bit of a hypocrite with my coffee groups because I don't have any coffee at home. (laughs) Only time I drink coffee is when I go to my coffee group. The former Wellington journalist has been in and out of hospital mental health wards for decades with psychotic episodes. Yeah, it's a nightmare and and, um, my problem is it comes on really fast and I have a lot of um, support people helping me out but despite that I still get sick which is a a little bit um, disturbing. You can't just bowl along to the mental ward and say, I need help. You've got to go through the system, and that involves um, waiting in emergency for a heck of a long time. Medicines are largely keeping his illness under control, and he's living independently in central Wellington under the guidance of Pathways and his own support person or navigator. Well, I, I say every time I get out of hospital, I'm never going back. But just because it's such a nightmare, it's... um. It's not, not the staff's fault or anything, and it's not even the, it's, no, it's nobody's fault, but it, it's just that in there, everybody's out of their head. He says he has all the support he needs. Books, tapes and family also help fill the time, and he'll be happy if that can continue. Well, I'm OK at the moment, you know, but, but the trouble is that I'm, I keep getting sick. And I said to one of my um, nurses, that it must be a bit depressing for you to have me sort of turning up every couple of years not having um, recovered. But she says, no, no, it's uh, no problem, yeah. Change has been a long time coming and the suicide aspect of mental health need is a national shame. There is unlikely to be a quick fix, but those struggling with mental health challenges, as well as those helping, are relieved the journey has begun.
That programme was written and presented by Karen Brown. If you'd like to podcast some more award-winning long-form journalism, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash insight, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's all from Insight for today. Do join us again next time.